Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everyone. It's really incredible to be here tonight. We, we are starting with a sermon series. We're in the middle of a holidays. Uh, and with the evening service, we still have a, a good uh, amount of people coming out with the mornings. You can see us for Kansi. But God has not stopped working. Amen. So we're praying for those that's not here with us. But we are taking ground in the spirit week by week. Want die duivel wat die vakantie nie. Maar is in die moeilijkheid. The devil, because God is raising up disciples in Secunda, and they are growing, and they are doing incredible things, and they are rescuing their own marriages, and those who are single are coming to purity and preparing themselves. There's people going out, and they more and more of us realizing, but I'm not just working for a salary, I'm actually doing my ministry and getting paid for it, and the enemy doesn't like it. So um, it's awesome to be a part of a process of what's happening here. It's also incredible the last few weeks. I've, I've, I've had a lot of meetings with incredible people experiencing great healing, which is coming at a great cost. And some of it involves uh, really turning away from previous sin. Some of it involves forgiving people that have sinned against you tremendously. But all over in the different ways of expressing our faith, I'm seeing people working and becoming more like Christ. And that's why it's such an honor for me to be here tonight and to be able to preach um, uh, with such a dynamic group of people. Really love you guys, and it's awesome to be here. We're kicking up off a little bit of a series which we call Follow Me, a sermon series on discipleship. And uh, we're going to play a little bit of a Bible understanding game before we start. Some of you are going to love it. Some of it, some of you are going to hate it. But you all have to do it. In any case, um, because you do it automatically when you read the Bible. So you're either getting better at it and understanding Scripture or not. So we're going to give you a tool or two. Um, but also the nature of tonight's message. Please have grace on me because... The topic being handled is quite a direct topic. It's, it's quite provocative. It's, it's in a sense uh, when Jesus comes out and he says, listen, it's either it's me or the world. All right? Um, uh, there's times when we, when we sit on topics, when it comes, for example, to forgiveness, where, where we see in Scripture such a great understanding and God saying, I understand what you... If anyone knows what it means to be neglected by people, hurt by people, it's Christ. And then from that place, we can minister and lead you into forgiveness, which then is a step of faith. But tonight, especially when we talk about the start of discipleship, it's a call to action. It's a call to action. And I know... That this uh, actually requires a book, and even just tonight's sermon should be five. So some of the stuff, I know I'm going to be fast on you. If you've got a question, something bothers you, come and ask, because I'm not going to hold back on this. Is that all right? Okay, can, uh, Tani Amanda, is that right? So, Tani het gepraat, try bespoken. Ons gaan. Um, so let me just um, put this first slide up. Just uh, uh, I've got another one there. What is discipleship? What are you building on? 
Just ask yourself these things. What are you hoping for? Uh, well, for tonight, for this week, for this year? Why are you here tonight? Maybe you want to ask yourself, what are your expectations of Christianity? You know, whether you have, uh, whether you think about these things, you have them. You have them, right? Um, is Christianity what you expected for you? Right? These are things, questions that you have in your heart that you answer for yourself without thinking. And somewhere down the line, often someone might say, but I'm going to leave the church or I'm never going to worship again because my mom died. How can God do that to me? I have not heard that once, I've heard that many times. Our relationship with God was going great. I was worshiping in the church, spending time in a small group, and, and then someone in a small group said something about my occupation. I'm never going back. Okay, So we, we make these assumptions in our hearts, and then when we hit something that challenges it and we're not ready, then it breaks our hearts. And so we're going to talk about building on a strong foundation and we're going to smash a few expectations and some we're really going to build. You know, sometimes you have to understand that the Bible, especially the Old Testament and the Gospels, is a narrative. Okay? That is good what happened, it is good what happened, it is what happened, it is what the Heilige Geest, dear schrijvers, what good what the information samengesit het vir die gehoor. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is written to Jews. Hebrews. They explain a lot about old sacrifices. These people know what they're talking about. When, he, when he's writing to the, the church in Galatia, it's a little bit of a mixed crowd, but it's not so, so Jewish-focused because the writer knows where he's writing and the Spirit is helping and leading him. Someone might say, Ek sal nie a Christen wees nie. In die Bible maak hulle babas dood. That's true, but then the Bible says you're going to get punished for it. It's a narrative. It records stuff. So you have to read long enough to understand that it shows you the event and then that it was wrong. <laughs> Are you with me? Sometimes the Bible records how someone do something wrong without saying it was wrong. But if you read the Bible, you, you know, if you have to stop and explain everything, it's not going to be the Bible. It's going to be the library okay, of just... The Bible defending itself. It goes. It rolls. And as you read it, you catch the spirit of it. And the Holy Spirit helps you to understand. So for example, someone might say, just give me a little bit of time to be a geek. Is that okay? Ali, all the academics is like, yes. Someone came to me today. That's not true. And they said, Brown was at Kiro. Then someone came to me and said, Brown was on the grass. Someone came to me and said, Brown was on the road. Uh, two of them are lying, you may assume, because they're all different narratives. But he saw him on the grass at Kiro, and then he walked across the road, and no one lied. It's just the Bible's not going to make excuses for itself as it goes. If someone, however, says Brown was in Phuket today, and either he's got a very fast jet, which I don't know of, or someone is lying, all right? And so scripture has a way of, of coloring itself as we read through the Bible, all right? 
So I'm going to teach you guys one or two things when it comes to that. Uh, let's start with this, because I'm going to talk about this. There's a rule in understanding scripture. It's called the, the it's a hermeneutics, is the science of the art of reading scripture correctly, right? There's a rule there that says reinforcement. Okay, for example, someone says Brown was on the grass. They say Brown was on the grass. She says he was on the grass. He was on the grass. It's reinforced by scripture. If someone says Brown was on the grass and someone else says he was at the school, we need to understand. And then if we study, maybe it's the same place. The more things are reinforced in scripture, the easier it is to know it's the truth. True story. Big church in this town. Pastor had breakfast with me last week. Someone came to church and bought loads and loads of handkerchiefs, okay? Because in the book of Acts, there was a unique event where the handkerchiefs of an apostle healed someone, okay? And they bought handkerchiefs for the church, took it to the church for the people to pray over and take into town. Now, you can do a prophetic ad. There's nothing wrong with that. But Scripture's not trying to say that handkerchiefs are special. It's just saying that God, the way God works, it can blow your mind. That's a unique event. You'd see it nowhere else in Scripture. Yes, God heals people. Yes, God can do miraculous things. But for a church to make it one of their doctrines, we buy handkerchiefs. Uh, you know, because when someone uses that, the handkerchief, they become a next-level disciple. We're talking about discipleships. That would just not be biblical. It's reinforced nowhere in Scripture. It just doesn't make sense. It's an unique event. Okay. Can I give you another example? People may say, should, must we obey the Bible? Who says yes? Yes, yes, you must. But you must know what it says to, to be able to obey it. So here's one example. Every town Paul entered, he first went to what? The synagogue. So if you got the Bible wrong and you hold on to that word, then tomorrow if you go to Bethel, you must first go to the synagogue. Then on Monday, if you go back home tonight, you must first go to the synagogue. But it's not what Scripture is trying to say. It's not trying to say every time a person in the world enters another town, they must go to the synagogue. It's just explaining the way the Holy Spirit ordered the ministry of Paul. Okay, that's it. And we know he had a ministry to the Gentiles, but he also went to the Jews. So we see he excluded no one. That's the heart of the Scripture. All right, so just, just one or two things. Another... Um, a tool would be a tool of non-contradiction, command, okay? A command is a command, is something you do. A event that's recorded, such as the handkerchiefs, is not necessarily a command. It's a recorded event, which shows how incredible God can work. Make sense? Right. Let's do this. So I'm just going to, some of these things are going to be really, excuse my, my academic English, some of these things are going to be a duh, okay? But I'm, I'm doing it on purpose because when we end up in places where we don't want to be, especially if you look at something like marriage, it's always the a duh stuff that someone didn't do. A duh, you don't go out with your secretary alone. But you did it. And now you're in trouble. Netani Amanda, amen. Big trouble. <laughs> okay? So, so let's not be above the real foundational stuff. So a, f a few things which you might have believed about Christianity, 
And if you still believe it, I want you to lay it down. Or I want you to realign your mind with the Bible. I'm going to give you four or five, I can't remember, things that maybe you thought was promises in the gospel, but it's actually not. And then I'm going to give you four things that really, really are foundational. And I'm going to show you that reinforcement straight through Scripture so that you know what to build on and what not to build on. I also know what I'm tackling here deserves an essay of 10,000 words, and I'm going to do it in much less. So um, please just see the spirit behind this and allow the Holy Spirit to grow you. So let's, we're just going to walk through Acts a little bit and a little bit through the New Testament. You don't have to write everything down. I'm going to tell you your key scriptures in Acts 2, and I'll tell you when I put it up. For now, you can just enjoy what's coming your way. At times, communities thrive. So someone might say, you must come to Shofar. They've got the best community in Secunda. I'm going to tell you these people, they are so friendly, all right? So you might have an expectation. I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. Wow, it's going to be, I'm going to have 20 friends, and they're all going to make me lunch every day, and it's going to be incredible, okay? Because in Acts, we see such an example of a community that's thriving. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, prayers. And all who believed, they were together. So all the extroverts, like, amen, we should all buy one big house and just everyone. And, and Ekananu says, yes, and Albel's thrones says, we're going to shoot you, <laughs> okay? Because the more the merrier for some of us. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Thriving community. Would you, would, you, would you at least say this is a thriving community or a warm community? Okay. Same book, a few chapters later. A man stands up. His name is Stephen. He preaches the gospel, and they kill him for it. Next verse. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The Afrikaans said, uit hulle getrek uit hulle huise uit. The same homes where they just broke bread. From home to home, breaking bread together. Now there's a man with authority dragging them out of homes. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That once peaceful, warm community in Acts chapter 2, when the wrath of Saul fell on them, they scattered. Now, when you scatter here, you go to the airport in your car. No, don't think, think winter. You're in trouble. You have your wife, you've got two kids, and you're walking to Bethel. Okay? This, this is a very short sentence in those who are scattered. That community scattered. What happened is, as they scattered, the gospel went throughout the world from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. God used it. What we are seeing here is just one example, is if you think or someone led you to believe that if you're a Christian, your community will always be warm and at peace, you've heard wrong. First point of a misperception. Okay, firstly, the disciples on an unpredictable journey, at times, your community will thrive. But at times it will bleed. Okay? Yet God is always involved. The measure of the peace and the warmth and the love in your relationship is not a measure of whether God is with you or not. We see in Acts, even in the times of scattering, the spreading of the gospel, watch out what you build upon. 
Let's go on. I'm just playing around with an idea here. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing, we're seeing one community and then we're seeing the opposite. So if someone for the first time re read Acts chapter 2, maybe they'll say a Christ-like community will always be at peace, always together. And as they read, they'll see a contradiction. They'll say, oh, okay. So the essence of God in a community is not that the community is always at peace, but rather that God is with them, whether they're at peace or not. Are you with me? Okay, that's Bible readings, understanding the narrative. Let's go on. Sometimes there's joy in ministry, okay? Um, when I was young, I believed as long as I stand in, uh, you know, in line for God, everything will go my way and I'll have, you know, everyone will just be awesome and, and happy with what I have to say. And then I read the Bible. Now, Peter stands up and he gives a great sermon just after Pentecost and listen to what it says. It says, now when they heard this, there was more than 3,000 people that day that heard this. They were cut to the heart. Okay? And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They opened their hearts for the gospel. And that's amazing when that happened. I hope it's happening tonight, even as I'm here speaking by the power of the Spirit. Amazing to experience this. Amazing. We're going on. Five chapters, man stands up, same message. St Stephen, now when they heard these things, they were in rage and they ground their teeth at them. Same message, same spirit working through the givers of a message, two different responses. Watch out what we believe when it comes to the reality of the walk of a disciple. Oh, it will always be easy. As long as I testify and I pray the blood of Jesus over me, everyone will accept the gospel. No. No. You will labor in the field. And you will bleed in the ministry field. Rather know it before you choose him. It might be that some of these people that picked up the stones, because they stoned him, came to Christ late, later because of his word. God is good, he knows. But for this man, it was an opposite than what Peter experienced. Are you with me? And they were, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, receive my spirit. Wow. Okay. That is big. Just a second thing we might get wrong. At times, you will be received with joy as you are walking with God. At other times, you will be received in anger. Make sure you know as you are signing up to be a disciple for Jesus what you are signing up for. Right. It is much more like an army, like anything else. Let's go on. Here's just incredible, weird examples that shows a contradiction, not... It's not scripture that contradicts itself, but a situation if maybe you thought that everyone's sins will drop dead, like here, uh, Peter said to Ananias, why Satan filled your heart to lie to the spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So what happened was in that time when the community was beautiful, a lot of people sold stuff and shared it with others. These people, shared, they sold their own land and they could have come and said, listen, we're going to give you guys 10% or 20 
but they lied. So they kept part of them, the proceeds for themselves. And then they lied. They said, no, here's everything. And because this man lied, he dropped dead. Gwa. Sak patats. Eit. Fat your money foot and sleep eit. Right after that, his wife came. Gwa. Dropped dead. Same lie. Okay. Someone that reads the Bible for the very first time might think, whoa, I better stop sinning right now. I'm in big trouble. Yet we see a sinner like Saul, next one, that murders a man. Saul approved of his execution. There arose on the day great persecution. Saul had the spearhead of the persecution. It says in verse 3, he was ravaging the church. He's in sin, just like the other two people. Just dropped dead. Yet, in the next slide, it says, now as he went on his way to, to persecute Christians, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? At that moment, changes his life, follows Christ. One sinner, two sinners met with death. One sinner met with grace. Your journey is unique. It's all I'm saying. Your journey is unique. Don't make a mistake of comparing your life with the life of another person. It is unique. I know that there's a very far-fetched example, but Scripture records these things to show us the vastness of a kingdom. We just don't know. What Christ is doing in you is much more important than you trying to compare yourself with someone else. Amen? Let's go on. One person died on the spot because of sin, yet another received grace. It's an unpredictable journey we are on. Last one of just playing around with this idea. Herod, whenever you hear the name Herod in the Bible, it's not always the same person, but they're all bad, okay? They all, like my son will say, Papa's a baddie. Say, yeah, he's a baddie. Herod is a baddie. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Now the writer of Acts records quite a lot of Peter in the beginning of Acts, quite a lot of Paul as they spread the gospel through the ancient world. Poor James here gets one sentence. Uh, he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. That's it. All right. Herod kills James like this for his faith. We're going to the next verse, verse 3. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. He's on a roll. Can you see that? This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he's now got, he's now got Peter. He put him in prison, delivering him up over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people, and then to kill him. Verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone on in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. One disciple gets killed with a sword. Gwa. The other, by the same man, put in prison. Angel opens the door. Does God love the one more? No. Does the one has less sin? No. It's got nothing to do with it. All Scripture is saying to us through just a plain recording of events is that the life of each disciple is extremely unique. Extremely unique. Sometimes two people 
that loves one another marries and a child gets born with a birth defect. Doesn't mean God doesn't love them, doesn't love a child. No. It just means that there is a mountain on their lives that they have to climb with God. Maybe they can no longer for the first few years be at so many social events. They're busy at home. It's part of a journey. Why? We don't know. We just know that God is with each and every disciple, even though the journey looks different. What is your expectation when it comes to being a disciple? The last one is each disciple will experience a unique journey. One woman, two women get saved. I've seen things like this happen. The one prays for her husband. She turns to God within one year. The other one is still praying after seven years. We don't know. Journey of discipleship. It's not like a cause and effect. God is not a machine. You know, if you put this in, that pops out. No, he's living in a life and he knows the days of your life. And being in relationship with him is much more important than any one of those things that can go your way or not. Okay, so when you read the book of Acts, remember, it's a narrative. When you read an epistle, just a Bible school tip or two, an epistle will say, don't do this. Acts records a narrative. Read the narrative and then measure it or reinforce it with other pieces of the Bible. That's what we're going to do now. Now, we can't build our lives on any of those things. What can we build our faith upon? Here's where it gets quite confrontational. Thanks for the forgiveness already. Here's our main scripture for the evening. Peter speaks to the people after Pentecost. We landed on this already. Now we're going to focus on it. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, these new disciples, like a lot of you. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then it says, So those who received his words were baptized, and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. That scripture again, describing the community. We get four things there that we're going to land on. And what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to show what he says, and then we're going to look for reinforcement through the Bible. And then we're going to see whether something is a building stone or not. Are you with me? First thing, he said to them, Repent. Repent. Okay, now you have to ask yourself, was it only for these people in Acts verse 38? Uh, a dir, no, but let's see it. Let's, let's be scholars. Let's find out. Just a little bit later in Acts 3 verse 19, they speak again, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So the handkerchief we get once in Acts, already we're on two with Repent. We're going on. We're seeing Jesus in John 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Talking about repentance to God, right? Luke 15, Jesus, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who believe they don't have repent. So we see Jesus saying it. We see Peter saying it multiple times in Acts. 
we're starting to see something that's a biblical foundation for being a disciple. First one, you want to build solid? Don't build on air castles of what people must do for you. Don't build on weird ideas of what should happen in your finances. Build on this. Repent of your sins. And then, never stop. This is not once off. This then lives and cooks in your inner room. As you repent of your sin, you are daily saying, God, I want to thank you that you're the forgiver of my sins. I'm just reminded of this thing that happened last week. Please wash me as I just seek to come closer to you. Yes, repentance for sins has a start, but then it cooks forever. Okay? And so what we are talking about here, if, we, if, some, if maybe there's someone here that's starting a, a, a road of discipleship, we're talking about this idea of God on your throne. So already I can stop the sermon here. It's not about whether right now your relationship or your community is thriving or bleeding. The question is rather, is God on the throne of the community? That's the question. Sometimes when God is on the throne, the community experiences something difficult like a childbirth. Sometimes it's like a celebration. The question is, is he on the throne? With that you can build. Don't let your faith be determined how you feel about circumstances. Let it be determined whether you are on your knees asking for the forgiveness of sins. Now you are building a sure foundation. We're talking about discipleship. Let's go on. He says, repent, and then he says, be baptized. Okay, and I'm going to be straight with us. I'm going to be confrontational. Forgive me. So let's, let's, let's move through Scripture. Matthew 3.16, and when Jesus was baptized. He modeled it. He was baptized himself. He didn't even have sin. And baptized was a sign of forgiveness of sin. The, one, the only sinless man in the history of the world got baptized as a pattern to be followed. He did it, and then he comments on it by saying the following, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son. He did it, and he commanded it. So that would be classified in hermeneutics as a command, and then you see this command being carried out by Peter in Acts chapter 2, when he says, repent and be baptized. Because he was there when Jesus spoke, he listened. Then, skipping Acts chapter 2, we go to Acts chapter 8. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Oh, we see it's moving. Okay? Of course it's moving. Jesus was not making up a story. Then Acts chapter 10, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Is there a reason for them not to be baptized? Of course, there's no reason because they've received the Spirit at that moment, that family. And as he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's uh, another train truck full of verses in Acts. If you want to write that down or get it from me. As we see the command of Christ being modeled, remodeled, remodeled, reinforced, reinforced, and not contradicted. You've got non-contradiction. Second thing, you can build your faith on 
is to be baptized, but it's not because the water is magical. Because I know many people that got baptized, but they don't follow Jesus. This is the, here's the thing. It's not about the water. Okay? There's nothing magical that happens. Uh, you know, it's not like magic land. When you go under the water, you escape into... No, no, no. The water is not where the power is. It's the conviction of a heart. What is the conviction of a heart? Just next to that second point, if we can move on. It's that you are putting on a new identity. You've put it on when you got saved already. Now you are showing it. But here's the thing. This idea of baptism, cooking in your inner room, is the laying down of yourself constantly and the taking up of who Christ is. My old self died with Christ. My new self raised with Christ. So one, one day you get baptized. Maybe you've got a nice photo. It was cold. Maybe you're standing like this. That's all right. But it was one day, but it cooks in your inner room as you are struggling with pride and the Spirit speaks with you. You go in and you say, Lord, I am struggling with pride and jealousy because I've taken off Christ and I'm putting on myself again. That's why I'm so angry. I'm giving myself to you once again. And for a person that truly got baptized with a heart, this should cook on, otherwise you only went for a swim. Are you with me? So let's go back to that wobbly stuff. It's not so much about whether your community is thriving or whether your community is bleeding, but whether the community is aiming their hearts to put on Christ in thriving or in bleeding. Can you see that? Are you with me? We're talking about building with stones that will last. He goes on and he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus saying this way before Peter said this. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go. If I do not go, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's Jesus. Jesus speaks again in Acts 1 verse 8. And then he says, but you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And we know how they got there. They got there once they got murdered. <laughs> That's how they got out, right? But the Spirit was with them. So when they murdered, they did not sit and cry. They rose up like warriors and marched to the next mission field. You see, it's not so much what your circumstances is doing is whether the Spirit is burning in you to face each and every circumstance. Acts 4 verse 31, we're going past that part, that part in chapter 2 which we started with. And when they had prayed, the place where they were together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. See the effect of the Holy Spirit coming on you. You're bold again for God. If you feel shy to testify, ask God for the Holy Spirit to fill you again. It's a building stone of a disciple. I cannot go out of my own power, Lord. I've tried that. Now I'm miserable. I, once again, this is exactly what happened here in Acts chapter 4. Is as they were going through a difficult time, they said, Lord, we're crying out to you for help. And God answered. They were filled with the Spirit. Okay. We're going on. Acts 19. So now we're seeing the reinforcement over and over 
of this idea of the Spirit, obviously it's a little bit of a derb because Jesus said it, but now we can follow his words in action as it moves across the new church. Verse 6 in um, chapter 19, when Paul had laid their hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. We see Luke 11, Jesus saying, the Heavenly Father wants to give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, we see quench the Spirit. It's like a bomb that explodes all over the New Testament, out of the mouth of Jesus, and so it goes. So will it be safe to say, what a strong foundation to build on? Yes, 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 all right? Receive the Holy Spirit, and the idea of of, of Christ is not that you can be weird and maybe speak in tongues. That's not the idea of a spirit, okay? We are not uh, on display as weird trick ponies, all right? We are here because we've got a message to, ca- to carry. When the Spirit comes upon us, we give us boldness to move. This idea of the Holy Spirit talks about a new helper. So in the past, it was you and the self-help books. Now in your inner room, Lord, you are the king. I lay down myself and I put on my new identity. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And how happy I am, precious spirit, that you are with me. My comforter, my helper, the one that sustains me, carries me. Isn't that incredible? The disciple, in one sense, are in a constant prayerful battle of becoming less, allowing God to become more. And that is why Christians should be the most incredible examples when it comes to reconciliation, asking and receiving forgiveness. Because their old self, the old grudge-holding person is not alive anymore. The one that they are putting on is the one who on a cross innocently died and said, forgive them. So when that man starts to live through you, even though it's hard, the forgiveness, it comes up. In the beginning it's hard, but it, it comes out. And then you grow. Then you grow. You've got a king on the throne. You've got a new identity. And you've got a new helper. When you build with this, you build well. And I get an Amen. Yes, it's a fraud form. <laughs> so those who were so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about three thousand. That was the birth of the church in a sense. Okay, it's the birth of the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread, and it says. All who believed together had all things in common. So there was a great togetherness. Now let's quickly see whether, uh, let me just say this for the, for the geeks. Can I have a geek moment? Is that okay? Okay, who gives me a minute just to be a geek? One minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five. I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the idea of the people selling, the idea of them being a community is not unique. The idea of them selling everything and having all things in common is quite unique because another community gets saved later in Acts and we don't see that repeated. What we do see in Greco-Roman culture 
is this idea before they became Christians of everything I have is yours. Even, even in secular culture, people like really having open lives to their friends. So it was very interesting and actually made sense that these people were willing to sell away everything. In the Gentile church later on, Paul says, what does he say about giving? He says, give willingly with a joyful heart. These guys sold everything. So, so, you cannot take Acts chapter 2 and say, everyone in this church should sell everything they have. It's not, it's a unique event. The spirit of the event is alive. I'm caring for you. You are caring for me. But once a church take your bank statements, which some ch churches will do, and, and have control over, uh-uh. It's not the heart of the gospel. It should be willingly, not grudgingly, out of overflow and out of love and care. Are you with me? In any case, we see this community being born. Um, let, let's, let's, let's see if we can get reinforcement in Scripture. Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, You are Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Who gives the first sermon? Peter. And they were at it. Once again, when Jesus speaks... It becomes true. So if you're a skeptic and, and, and you're starting to realize now what happens is everything he says about hell is true as well. Remember that. Because as he speaks, it comes into being in a short while, all right? Of course, we're not, we don't go to him because we're afraid of hell. We go to him because he's a lovely savior, great dad, our redeemer. Amen. If any one member suffers, we see it in the 1 Corinthians, all suffer, one is on it, everyone rejoice. You are the body of Christ. We see this idea again. It's going on beyond Acts and before Acts in the words of Jesus. Romans, as one body we have many members. The members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Here we see it again, the body. Hebrews 10, not neglecting to meet together. I, I know I'm chopping scriptures here and there. I'm making a point. And uh, you can chat to me afterwards if you want to. Right. What we see is this idea of community is not a one-moment thing. It's a church thing. What exactly happens in the community? I don't think scripture wants us to be like too specific. You know, your cause, my cause. No, no. There's a community. They care for one another. They love one another. They lay their lives down for one another. And 100%, without doubt, the fourth building stone for a good start as a disciple is be joined to the body, church. In fact, we see no movement in Acts that is not commissioned by the church, doesn't come back into the church or not adding. Okay, we see it very clearly. And then every letter written by the apostles is addressed to groups of people. So those who said, I'm too good for that group would never have received the letter of 1 Corinthians or Ephesians because they would not be there. Okay, we see it in scripture. There should be a joining together. So what you inherit at a start of your journey as a disciple is also a new family. Ta-da! I'm sorry, <laughs> just look around you, you're in, you're in big trouble. You're just trying to get away from your family when you move to Secunda, and here you are. You're stuck with a whole lot of people.
to be a disciple, you always cannot, you cannot be a disciple before that initial repentance happens. It has to happen. Your community may look one way or another, but you cannot get past number one. Number two, you have to put on your new identity, new identity in Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit, your new helper, and be joined to the body, new family. And they were perfect, but then you arrived. Uh, that was just a, a insulting you of a joke. Let, let's finish this off. I want you to make this your own. I want this to, if this doesn't change you or impact you, then tonight I have failed. John 21, verse 18. Jesus speaks to Peter and he says, When you were young, you used to dress yourself, Peter, to walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. What faith Peter had, knowing he would die a martyr, preaching that day to that 3,000, somewhere in his, in his mind, maybe, maybe today is the day, they're going to kill me. He didn't back off. But at this moment, incredible story. He's like me, a little bit of a negotiator. So he sees John sitting just after Jesus said this to him. When Peter saw him, speaking about John, he said to Jesus, what about him? So I'm going to get killed for my faith. What is his verdict? And, and, and he's probably exciting to hear, you know. And Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Again, within three verses, you follow me. Peter, you are going to die for me. He was crucified upside down. He didn't want to be crucified like his Lord and Savior. So they turned him around. He knew he was going to end. This is how it's going to end. And I want to say something very hard to you, but it's out of an absolute heart of love. And maybe this saves someone's life tonight. Your circumstances is no excuse for not following Jesus. No. You need him in your life. There will be victory in your circumstances. The one victory I'm certain of, the other one I can't say how it will end up. First victory you will have, you'll have a spiritual victory over it. You will start to feel like a victorious child of God before the circumstances change. Maybe they will change. I don't know. But one thing I know is as soon as you yield to him, everything changed because your eyes change. As you look, everything around you, it's all different, even though it's all the same. Because God makes all things new. And he's inviting you tonight. Follow me. Yeah, but that guy, what is that to you? You follow me. That's, I believe, an invitation from the scripture that will forever wash over the earth. Follow me.
follow me. And tonight, it's just what we align with to, to speak to this church and build on the next month. What are you willing to give? Follow Jesus. There's only one thing you can give, and that's everything. And experience him rushing into your life and changing everything from the inside out. Amen? Let's stand tonight. Let's stand. Let's just allow God, our helper, our sustainer, to, to speak with us for a moment. Where you are standing, will, will you be so kind just to forget everything? If, if you don't have a kitty with you and, and you are able just to shut everything out for a moment, I want to ask you, what is God saying to you tonight? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you tonight? you are here in this place and you love each one here Lord I don't know the journey these people are on I don't know every home I don't know every spouse I don't know the unctions of a heart I don't know the desires maybe even addictions I, I don't know but what I know is that when a person repents takes on a new identity find a new helper and a new family Surely they can conquer anything that is before them. That I know and I believe with everything in me. Jesus, and we just want to worship you in this church and we declare it's all about you. It's all about you, Lord. And, and, and we're so sorry that we think of have started to believe that following you has to do with driving nice vehicles or doing cool stuff when your example was one of a friend laying down his life for a friend. You had the least, you had the worst car, yet the greatest calling. We want to pattern our lives after yours. We don't even know where to start, so we ask Holy Spirit, please come and help us. Please come and lead us and show us a way. We are hungry for more of you. I want you just to open your eyes uh, and look at the screen there for a moment. And, and if you are all right with it, maybe just ask the Holy Spirit for one of those to, to jump out to you. Maybe, maybe just one to jump a little bit forward as something you want to say, Lord, I'm, I'm on a, I've, I've lost my identity in you. I'm, I'm just grabbing onto it again. I'm just holding on. I'm just going to, Take your life and put it on mine again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I made it about myself. I elevated myself. And that's why I'm so bitter. Just laying it down again. Maybe you've been trying to do everything on your own. And the helper is not welcome. Do not quench the spirit. Invite him. 
Maybe tonight you just want to say, Holy Spirit, come and help me. Come and help me. Without trying to figure it out, take your mind and put it under your arm. Let the Spirit come and speak with you. And then now, I just want to be direct. Make sure your heart is soft towards the church. She's precious because he died for her. Don't elevate your heart above a church. Humble yourself and come into a church. If it's his bride, she's precious. Ask God to soften your heart again. I know we take shots here. I'm also in the church, I know. Let it be part of our growth. Let us grow for that. I want to make a very simple call tonight and I want to put action to it. If you want to commit, just in the beginning of this month of discipleship, and just say, listen, I'm all in. I want to, I've got these areas that I, I'm definitely standing in faith for and I want to put it before God. Then I want you to step out, come to the front, do business with God. Say, Lord, number three, there's a problem in my life. If you come this month and you help me with number three, then, then, then I'll be so glad I'm, I'm consecrating myself to you. Maybe it's something else, but whatever it is, let's move in one, two, three. And let's do business with God. On your own faith, on your own faith. No one's going to pray with you now. No one's going to put their hand on your shoulder. This is you and God. This is you and God. You speak with Him directly. You call on to His name. 